All right, so I want you to notice in verse 41 of Matthew 22, it says, While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? They say unto him, The son of David. So what's going on and throughout this chapter we just read, the Pharisees, they've been asking Jesus a bunch of tricky questions. Not so they can learn. Not so they can be enlightened. They're asking Jesus tricky questions because they want to find something to accuse him of. They wanted to nail his hide to the wall for something. So they're asking him all these questions thinking this will get him in trouble uh, with somebody if he doesn't answer. If it doesn't get him in trouble with the multitude, uh, then maybe it'll get him in trouble with Rome and with uh, the leaders there. So they've been asking all these questions. And then finally, Jesus turns around and he asks them a question. And it is a tough question. And it says in verse 43, He saith to them, How then does David in spirit call him Lord? Because the Pharisees, they do, they had a problem with Jesus and, you know, what, who he was claiming to be, the authority that he's claiming to have based on the things that he's doing. And so Jesus is just trying to show them that, hey, what I'm doing is actually scriptural. It's actually according to the Bible. And, you know, and here's a question for you. Why did David Okay, if you know you believe that the Messiah is the son of David, yet David called him Lord. You don't call a descendant Lord. Usually the elder is over the younger one, over the descendant. But at the same time, David's calling him Lord, which you and I, we get that because we know that while Jesus Christ was the son of David, he also was God. And so it would make sense that why David would say that. But they didn't understand this, but Jesus is ultimately showing this to them to show nothing that I'm doing is going against the Scripture. This is actually according to the Scripture. In fact, this helps explain Scripture. But it was a tough thing. And so it says, saying, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, till I make thine enemies thy footstool. If David then call him Lord, how is he his son? And this is a great question, but it says, and no man was able to answer him a word, neither durst any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. So this question stumped them so bad. And I think not just because they didn't understand it. I think it's possible that they did understand it. But it turned out this scripture that he just referred to proves his point and proves him right. And so instead of them just saying, you know what, Lord, you were right. You know what they did? They just quit asking questions. You know what they did? They just kind of hid. They ran. They just dodged it. But then what they did is they sought out then to figure out how they could kill him and how they can get rid of him. What they did when Jesus nailed them with this question, they pretty much just avoided it. They, do they dodged it. And throughout Christ's ministry, he did. He constantly dealt with people trying to ask him these gotcha type questions. And these questions, they weren't asked so they could learn, but they were asked so they could attack. That was why they did it. And Jesus had the wisdom to handle these things. Jesus, you know, you and I, we're not as smart as Jesus. When we get asked questions like this, we should probably, our go-to verse should be about the cats or pearls before swine. But Jesus, he could handle these things. And so in this story though, when he did this, the crowd, not only did they not answer him, but they quit asking questions that we're just going to get rid of them. And so, you know, it is amazing to me when it comes to just disputes. And we're continuing this, uh, you know, teaching on disputes because this is something that is very common. 
And there is a time and there is a way to dispute things. But generally, because our human nature likes to kick in, it turns into something that's wrong. It turns into something that is unbiblical. And we need to avoid doing this. And we need to avoid engaging in this kind of thing. And one thing that we see very often... And what I'm mainly talking about tonight is this idea of dodging the issue. Have you ever heard a politician before and they get asked a really good question and then they go and they give an answer. They say a bunch of really eloquent stuff, but it doesn't answer the question at all. You know what they're doing? They're dodging the issue. They'll, you'll see that in a debate and these things are going on. Somebody brings up something good and they've always got something to say, but they rarely say anything to address the actual issue. issue. And it just drives you crazy. I remember the, I, I, we, I went to one, the only, uh, like political thing I've gone to, uh, where the presidential candidate in the last 20 years was Ted Cruz. When he was running, we went up to Rockford just to go see him and, and hear what he had to say. And I thought he was going to get up and there was going to be like questions. And I was really interested in some of his policies he was talking about, like how he was going to eliminate the IRS. And I'm like, <laughs> bring it on. But at the same time, I'm like, how, how do you do that? You know, how, how is that going to work? Because I, I don't care how he does it. I mean, I don't know if he's planning on bombing it or just, you know, legislating it out. I, I don't know. I just wanted to know what his plan was. So I just assumed when we were going to go to this thing and he was going to like lay out the facts at this. I'd seen all the news clips. I'd watched the debates and they never deal with that stuff. But I thought here they're going to deal with these things. Here we can, you know, people can ask questions. We're going to hear all this stuff. Let me tell you, none of that happened at that event. Everything he said at that event, I'd heard him say on news clips and at, at debates. He never got off his talking points. And even when he did go off script and say things different, it was scripted. Because I was watching later that night, he was in another place in Illinois, and I was watching the live coverage of it, and he did the exact same thing, where he like stopped himself and went off script and said the exact same thing. And I'm like, this guy's a fraud. And I was like, that was a waste of time. It was, it was horrible. It's like, you didn't deal with anything. And then a few people got some questions in, and he didn't answer the questions. And I just wanted to beat my head against, or beat his head against the wall. Because it was, it was frustrating. And let me tell you something. It's amazing how quick we are, how ready we are to argue, and yet not deal with the actual issue. You know, there's some people out there, they got something to say because they actually have answers. They actually have solutions. But there's other people out there, they're ready to get in the dispute just because they want to hear themselves talk. And you know what? That's fine if you're actually contributing something. But when you're just dodging the issue and not covering what needs to be covered and dealing with what needs to be dealt with, you're out of line. And you know what you should do is you should then just shut up. Okay? If you're not willing to deal with the real issue in an argument, you should just stay out of the argument. And it's amazing how many people are so quick to insert themselves into dispute without actually ever dealing with anything. And yet run, and I, running their mouth the whole time, I find that very frustrating when I see that, I think it's amazing how people, they're so ready to label somebody a heretic or a reprobate, but yet how slow they are to actually deal with the specific issue or doctrine. Yeah, you'll call somebody a reprobate, but can you explain to me now why they are a reprobate? Can you explain to me how their error in this area makes them a reprobate? 
I, I just know they're reprobate. Well, and if you're not able to explain this and articulate this, maybe you should shut up about that. Hey, we all have our opinions about things, don't we? But until we're actually ready to deal with the real issue, then maybe we ought to shut up. And so, in this story, not you know the crowd, they didn't answer them. They just were quick to get angry, and that's how a lot of people are. And you know, because and here's one of the reasons too: so many people are quick to label somebody a heretic and a reprobate or whatever, is because that's easy. It's easy, and often it's a way for them to just basically dodge the real issue. And and because you know, actually answering things, actually answering questions, often it requires a lot of work. It really does. Because you know what? Some subjects are complicated. There are some things that are very difficult to explain and that take some time. And they even take the ability to just articulate things well. You know, For example, you know what? Let's just admit it. The Trinity, it can be a complicated subject, can't it? It's all kind of, Did you know that God is kind of a difficult thing to comprehend? In fact, you know, the Bible says, who is like the Lord our God? You know, what can be compared to Him? But yet, what is it we do in the Trinity all the time? We're always trying to make comparisons. And, you know, and that's okay. We're trying to just describe God. But at the end of the day, you know, I think we should give people a little bit of grace if they don't do a perfect job of it. Because guess what? It can't be done. It can't be done. It is a complicated subject. Dispensationalism. Okay? Dispensationalism, you know, it, we're real quick to anyone who uses that word to label them a heretic. But a lot of people, when they use that word, they're just trying to describe how things did change from the Old Testament to the New Testament. There are things that are different now because we don't sacrifice animals anymore. And so some people use the word dispensationalism to try to explain that. But at the end of the day, that's a complicated subject too, explaining how things have changed throughout time. And, and dispensationalism means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But some people, because they're lazy or just because they're uneducated or just because they are just, you know, quick to uh, nail somebody's hide to the wall, they'll hear somebody use that word and without listening to what they actually believe, they'll just label them heretic. That's not, that's not right either. There's some people who would use that word and use that term that are not heretics. Okay, I choose not to use that word, and I, I consider myself non-dispensational, but that doesn't mean there aren't some things that dispensationalists teach that I would agree with. You understand that? At the end of the day, some things are complicated subjects. Some things are difficult, and people are trying to explain the best they can, but then you've got others that just want to come along and then try to trip you up and just so they can label label you with something. And many people today in the IFB world, they have maintained, and get, folks get this, all right? Many people in the IFB world for a long time have maintained certain doctrinal positions that I believe are correct. But you know what? They've maintained that position not by conviction, but by fear of being labeled a liberal a heretic, a reprobate, a compromiser, whatever. That's why, did you know there's a lot of people all over in the IFB world right now, the only reason they are still using a King James Bible is because if they quit, they will get labeled a compromiser. 
They're not, and you know what? I'm glad they're using the King James Bible, but I wish it was by conviction. Because here's what's going to happen to all these guys that are doing it out of fear of their preacher buddies calling a heretic. Pretty soon, they're going to get fed up with it, and then they're going to go on the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast and say, you know, I used to do that. I used to preach that. You know, I didn't know why. I didn't know why I was King James only. I was just pressured to do this. But finally, I freed myself of legalism, and now, you know, I'm so enlightened because I use the ESV. No. Say it this way. I used to be a coward. I used to be a punk. I used to be a crony. That was just a yes man for the IFB with no conviction. And I was a loser because of that. And now I found a new crowd that I can be a crony and a punk for. That's what's really happened. But listen, just because you didn't know why you were King James only doesn't mean that everyone who's King James only doesn't know why. Some of us actually do this stuff because we really believe it. Some of us dress the way we do because we believe in dressing this way. But a lot of people today, they would never, they would never let their wife go out and wear a pair of pants because another preacher is going to call them a compromiser. I, you know what? I would hate to live in a world where another preacher can scare me into doing something I don't believe in. I would hate to look at my wife and look at my kids and say, you know what, kids, we got to keep doing this stuff because I'm just a pansy. I might get called a name by another preacher in another state somewhere. I might get kicked out of some club if I don't do that. You know, no wonder these people's kids all go to the devil once they get out. Because you know what? It's been fake to them. It's been phony. And, but they have. They're still, you know, their doctrinal statement's correct. They don't believe it. But it's correct. But it's out of fear. I'm not interested in that, folks. I'm not interested in that at all. You know what? You can call me whatever you want. I refuse to get caught up in that kind of bondage. And let me tell you, if the IFB pushing standards, King James Bible, all these things that are good is legalism, then you know what? Being a trendy and pushing all the junk that they push is legalism too. But you know, it, these people are just hypocrites in the worst way. John, it says in John 12, 42, but this kind of thing's been going on since the time of Christ. It says in John 12, 42, nevertheless, among the chief rulers, also many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. The people, they believed Him, but they're like, I'm not saying anything about it. You know why? They wanted that praise of men. And let me tell you, there's a bunch of independent, fundamental, separated, temperamental, King James only Baptists out there that are that way because they love the praise of men. You know what? The trendies can have every one of them. I wish these guys would all just be honest. I wish they'd go get their purple lights. I wish they'd go get their skinny jeans. I wish they would do all that stuff and wear their pink shirts, start talking with a list like a homo, get them an ESV Bible, and go do their thing somewhere else. Because we don't need people like that pretending in the IFB world. I'm sick of these people pretending and then going and becoming heroes when they go and they decide to dump the legalism. I don't know. I said... I'm sorry, anybody who goes on one of these podcasts announcing, I used to do all this stuff because I was under those pressure, just admit it, man, you wear pink underwear. You're a flamboyant, just, you know, good for nothing, spineless coward. That's all you ever were, and you found a new crew. And you still are what you were before. You've just found, you've found a new crew. I, I'm not falling for this stuff. 
I'm not falling for this. I see it for what it really is. But many people do. They want that praise of men. And, and you know what? You did it that way before. You used to preach like an old past camp meeting preacher with a southern accent before because you wanted the praise of the camp meeting crowd. But now you talk like an effeminate. Why? Because you want the praise of the trendies. Because you're exactly the same. You've not changed. These people have not changed. But let me tell you something. It is true in the IFB world, you do you get away from certain things, you're going to get called a name. Did you know that? You dump your King James Bible, you're going to get called a name by some people. You know, you start bringing in the purple lights and doing all the things that it doesn't like. You're going to get called a name. And you know what? I'm not going to stand here today and tell you that that's always inappropriate. I'm not going to do that. There are examples in the Bible of people calling names. We, we see that. I don't think it's a sin necessarily to do that. But you know what? I personally am not interested in holding people hostage in our church by threatening to slap a reprobate label on them or some other kind of label. You know, I don't want people being scared of leaving our church because pastor's going to call me all kinds of terrible things. He's going to mark me. He's going to, you know, listen, if you want out of here, we'll let you go. And I don't want to talk bad about you. You know, I, 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 I don't want to do that. But listen, if people have a question or if people do not agree or understand something, you know, I should be ready to answer questions. It's the way it should be. But a lot of people are scared to ask. A lot of people are scared to go to their pastor and say, hey, you know, I'm not really convinced on this King James thing. You know, I get it. All the ladies around here dress a certain way, but I don't really want to. And I don't really see why I should. That's how a lot of people feel in churches today. If you feel that way, I, I want you to be able to talk to me about it without being feared of getting called a Jezebel or something like that. I, I, I'm not interested in that. I don't want you dressing a certain way out in public because you're afraid I'm going to see you and then next Sunday I'm preaching a sermon called The Attire of a Harlot. And then, you know, some people are afraid of that. You know, and that's not good. I, I don't I don't want it to be that way here. But y'all know that happens in the IFB world, doesn't it? That happens. And so here but here's what I want to explain about this and what I want to talk about tonight. A lot of times one of the reasons we go to the attacks, one of the reasons we go to the name calling is because we don't have answers. Did you know there's a there's a lot of Baptist preachers out there that have dress standards. Like I said, that on paper, they're right on a lot of things, but they have no idea why, and they can't tell you why. Yet, they're often some of the biggest advocates for those things, and they have no idea why. And they're always like the you know, guys that are the quickest to call names, to do whatever. And let me tell you, with a lot of these people, what it really is, when they get into the name calling and reprobate, compromise, whatever it is they're calling you, it is their way of dodging the issue when they get asked a question. Somebody comes to them, Pastor, why do we only use the King James Bible? I don't understand this. You know, Pastor, you know, why do you believe women ought to dress this way? You know, why, why do you do this? They don't know how to answer it. And so what they do, they end up doing certain things. And we're going we're gonna to look at some more logical fallacies tonight. These are things that they do as a way to dodge the issue because they don't know how to answer it. They they don't know what they're doing. 
And so one of the ways, common ways, people dodge issues instead of dealing with things is through what is known as ad, you know, ad hominem attacks. All right. And, you know, an ad hominem, that's an argument directed at the person rather than the position that they're maintaining. Okay. Now, folks, let me just mark it, just say it right now. I have no intention of stopping calling names and attacking the opposition. Okay. I've got all kinds of great names for people and I use them. But let me just explain to you something. Calling somebody a name does not prove your point. But it does feel pretty good sometimes. You know, I, like the trendies, they get all mad at me, for, you know, because I'll get mad at them when they accuse us of legalism, which is a damnable heresy. Okay? Legalism is a damnable heresy. Okay? You, you tell me I'm preaching legalism, you're telling me I'm preaching a damnable heresy and I'm sending people to hell with that. Okay? If I call you a trendy, that's just an insult. I'm just making fun of you, be, you know, because of how you dress and how you act and how you do your hair or beard or whatever. You know, that, that, you know, now that's not nice. I'm not trying to be nice. But at the same time, there's a big difference, isn't there? Well, and, and, well, you know, you're still calling people trendy. I know. It's a derogatory term. It's a, it's a, it's an insult. I'm being mean to you because I don't like you. I don't like trendies. But let me tell you something. I'm not foolish enough to think that I'm deceiving anybody or that I'm convincing somebody or I'm winning somebody over to my side by that. I'm doing that because I don't like you. Okay, And that's why we often do it. But a lot of people, that's, now at the same time, though, I am willing. I'm always ready and I have done it to sit down and talk with the trendy without calling names and throwing out insults. I'm ready to do that. I'm ready to deal with the issue. I welcome the opportunity to deal with an issue. You know why? Because I know I'm right. I know why we do what we do here. I know exactly why. I'm ready to talk about it. It's amazing how unwilling they are. But this, this here's what you've got to understand is people who find yourself often you know, watching disputes, even if you're not in the dispute, you need to understand when you're hearing one guy just attack the other one and calling them names, that's not proving a point. That is often used to intimidate you. You know why I make fun of trendies in their skinny jeans is because I want to embarrass people who wear skinny jeans because I think it's repulsive. It's my way of shaming people. Okay? I'm just being open and honest about it. It's not me convincing of right and wrong or proving the Bible. It's me trying to shame you. When, when I do that kind of thing. And so understand that, but that does not prove my point. Do y'all understand that? Me calling you a queer because you wear skinny jeans doesn't prove you're a queer. It doesn't prove wearing skinny jeans is a sin. Me just calling you a queer. But it might intimidate you, won't it? Okay. Hey, I'm giving out the secrets right now. Now, should you be influenced by that, should you make your decision about what you believe is right or wrong based on an insult? Does that prove I'm right? No, no, don't do that. I, th this is schoolyard playground tactics. All right. And again, I use it, but, but I'll admit it. Yes, that's what I'm doing. I, I've told people that before. Well, if you realize that's an insult, I know that's why I say it. <laughs> Here's the difference between me and the trendies. I don't pretend I don't try to insult them. Right? 
I actually do. They always try to act like they're being all biblical and lovey-dovey and all that. No, uh, they're not. But I'll, I'll, I'll go as far as admitting it. So look what it says in John chapter 8 and verse 45. Let me show you something here. Uh, John chapter 8, I didn't put it. Let's go for my notes. John, so uh, the name calling, the ad hominem attacks, attacking the person rather than the position. Why do people do this? Well, notice how it says in John 8:45, and because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. Which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's word. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan and hast a devil? Now, where was there evidence for that? Here, they can't understand what Jesus is saying because they weren't of God. And so what is their go-to? You know what? You're a Samaritan. You have a devil, which is a pretty horrible accusation. This is not based on anything. This isn't based on any facts. This isn't based on anything they've observed. This is literally just an insult that they're throwing at him because they can't answer Jesus' questions. So Jesus answered, I have not a devil, but I honor my Father, and ye do dishonor me. And I seek not mine own glory. There is one that seeketh and judgeth. Verily, verily I say unto you, if a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. Then said the Jews unto him, Now we know that thou hast a devil. Abraham is dead and the prophets. And thou sayest, if a man keep my saying, he shall never taste of death. Art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead, and the prophets are dead? Whom makest thou thyself? So they said, we know you have a devil now. Why, why are they saying this? They couldn't answer a legitimate question. And so what's their response? You have a devil. You're a Samaritan. They just threw an insult. Let's attack you because he's... They didn't want Jesus influencing the other Jews. So if everyone thinks this guy is a Samaritan, then they'll hate him like we do. If everyone thinks he's got a devil, then they'll hate him like we do. Yet they didn't deal with the subject. They wouldn't answer the question. And let me tell you something. You know, this, this ad hominem fallacy, it's easy to justify, again, because we do see name calling in the Bible. We even see Jesus calling people names. But here's the thing. Just because I call someone a name does not mean I proved anything. Somebody calls me a name. It doesn't mean they proved anything. I can get up here. I can label somebody a reprobate all I want. It doesn't prove anything. And you know what? I can even be right about them being a reprobate. Still doesn't prove I'm right. That doesn't, that doesn't prove anything. So, I'm not saying there's never a time or place to call names. There, I think there definitely is. But sometimes it is necessary for us to actually address doctrine. To address the tough passage of scriptures. Me just attacking an individual will not help anybody. If you have a question, if you're listening to some false prophet out there and you're confused about something and you ask me a question and then I just get up here and I just cream that false prophet and I call him every name in the book and I throw a few cuss words in there to make it, you know, show how intense I am, then you know what? It still doesn't clear up your confusion, does it? I haven't helped you with that. Now, maybe I've intimidated you and, you know, I mean, is it wrong to intimidate people into doing the right thing? Probably. I, and that's, that's just not a good method. Okay? I shouldn't have to do that. I ought to be able to prove it. And let me tell you something. Me getting up 
and talking about Peter Ruckman's divorces doesn't prove dispensationalism is false, does it? You know, me getting up and talking about Pastor Trendy's skinny jeans doesn't prove the old paths are right, does it? <laughs> I'm not going to stop doing that. You know, me talking about James White's tattoos doesn't prove the King James Bible is right. That doesn't do anything. Me talking about Tyler Baker's annoying voice and that he looks like Shaggy doesn't prove we're right on the Trinity. Does it? Gives us all a good laugh. <laughs> you know, we can, we can do those things. But if that's all I do, I've got the most creative insults. I mean, you know, you, you want to know if, if, let me tell you, if insults proves a point, then you know who is the greatest debater in the history of the IFB is Phil Kidd. I mean, Phil Kidd. I would not want to get in a contest with him of who's got the best insults. He would clean my clock. But let me tell you, I'd open up a Bible with that guy any day of the week and have my way with him. But if ad hominem is allowed, he will kick my backside. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. I've listened to that guy throw out the insults and he can do it in a way that I can only ever dream of. And so, uh, but, but if there's a thinker in the audience, someone capable of critical thinking, someone looking for the truth, he's not going to help them at all. So that's not, you know, uh, we don't necessarily want to do that all the time. You know, and another similar fallacy that is kind of related to this one, it's what's known as the tuquoque, which is Latin for, um, to, or you also which is this appeal to hypocrisy. Okay, So basically, um, you know, a way people often do that is so like I call, you know, I'm preaching against being lazy. All right? and I, and I, or I get on, say I get on to Austin for being lazy. I was like, you know what, Austin, you're worthless, you're lazy, you're good for nothing. You know, you sleep till noon every day. And then, you know, and, and I might be 100% true, but what's his response? Well, yeah, well, you sleep till noon too. Okay, you're still lazy. <laughs> Just because I'm lazy too, doesn't mean you're not lazy. You see, how, you see how it works, and that's what people do all the time too. Especially when you start preaching against a specific sin. What's their thing? He who has no sin, let him cast the first stone. In other words, you're a sinner too. Okay, but fornication's still wrong. Okay, that's still wrong. We're still going to call this stuff out, and it's like people act like. Anytime a preacher gets up and he preaches hard against sin, oh, that guy thinks he's perfect. Well, actually, no, he doesn't. He's just preaching against sin. So it's like, are we only allowed to preach against sins that we've never done or never done something that's equivalent to? No, it's our job to preach against sin, including our own. But what people do, they will ignore all the Bible that was used. They will ignore the facts and say, well, he's a sinner too. Therefore, I don't have to listen to anything he says. No, you still do. Doesn't matter if I'm still a sinner. And so that appeal to uh, hypocrisy like that, that is a logical fallacy. It doesn't prove anything. And so again, yes, Peter Ruckman was married three times. That doesn't prove what he taught was wrong. Okay. Now, if we want to use him as an example of an unqualified preacher, then we can do that. But if I want to get up, it's like, I'm going to tonight, I'm debunking Peter Ruckman's dispensationalism. And then all I do is talk about his divorces. Okay. I'm dishonest. That is not appropriate. That is an ad hominem. And you know what I'm doing? I'm dodging the issue. I'm dodging the issue. That, that's, that's what I'm doing. 
You know, if I'm like arguing, uh, you know, and I'm having a debate with Sluter about some specific thing, and I'm like, well, he believes in aliens. Okay, but that doesn't mean he's wrong on this other issue. That That's me dodging the issue. So you need to watch for that. When people do that type of thing, it's because they don't have an answer. Don't let people get away with that. Don't let pe- Don't let me get away with that kind of thing. That's not good. At some point, it just we have to deal with the actual issues. We can't just keep dodging it forever. We can't do that. And so just because someone's a hypocrite doesn't mean they're wrong. Okay? If I tell you you're ugly, well, you're ugly too. Okay, You're still ugly. <laughs> me being ugly too doesn't change that. So, and understand, this is how most disputes go, isn't it? Do we not see how ridiculous this is? Sometimes you just need somebody to come and just slap us a little bit and say, hey, this is dumb. You're not accomplishing anything. You're not proving anything. You know, a lot of people, a lot of preachers, they act like other preachers who just refuse to get involved in a lot of the online fights and things. You know, accuse them of being cowards and running for things. But no, a lot of them have just learned most of this stuff is just generally stupid and unproductive. And they've just chosen to not get involved in it. You know, you could probably go to any of these as an individual anytime. They'd be ready to sit down and talk with you and open the Bible and probably prove their point really well. But they're not going to get involved in the online stuff because they have enough wisdom to know, hey, I see the kind of disputes that's going out there. That's perverse disputing. I don't want to have any part of that. And so maybe we ought to just give them points for having wisdom. You know, that's probably that's probably the way to go. And so uh, turn over to Psalm 73. So another uh method that people use to dodge the issue on things is another logical fallacy known as hasty generalization okay and basically what that is is that's where we draw a conclusion based on a very small sample size rather than you know looking at statistics that are much more in line with the typical or average situation so basically this is where we just i mean just quickly generalize something so we can avoid the real issue okay and in psalm 73 um it's the psalm of asaph here he's saying truly god is good to israel even to such as are of a clean heart but as for me my feet were almost gone my steps had well and i slipped for i was envious of the foolish when i saw the prosperity of the wicked. And we're not going to read this whole passage, but he goes on to talk about what he was seeing, what he was feeling, and how uh, it wasn't until he went to the house of the Lord and he re- and it was like the Lord revealed their end to him. Then all of a sudden he realized, "Hey, I'm wrong in how I feel." And notice what it says uh in verse 16 or um uh what where's the verse I wanted? Now look at verse 16. It says, When I thought to know this, it was too painful me until I went to the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places and cast them down into destruction. So once he realized the truth and what was going to happen, all of a sudden it kind of calmed him down and he realized that, you know what? It's not like I thought. He was basically admitting, I didn't see everything I, I didn't know all that there was to know. And one of the things that he said in there, I don't, I can't find the verse in there, but one of the things he said, I said in my haste, all men are liars. Okay? So he said, I said in my haste, all men are liars. 
he just kind of got it in his head. Or no, that's in Psalms 116, verse 11. It says, I said my haste, all men are liars. And often, when we don't want to actually take the time to think about something complicated, we just go to this hasty generalization where, you know what, they're just all unsaved. You know what, they're just all reprobates. Are you sure about that? You know, actually, there might be a little more to this subject. So instead of just labeling all reprobates, if you don't want to take the time to think about it and look into this thing, that's fine. Don't, but shut your mouth about it. Okay, don't run your mouth about it. And so, but often we do. We get in trouble because we start declaring things to be fact when the truth is we don't have enough information to draw a conclusion. You know, sometimes as preachers, we have to admit, I haven't looked into this subject enough. Sometimes we have to say, you know, I haven't dealt with this situation enough. Sometimes we just need to admit, I don't know the answer to something. But often, instead of doing that, we do a hasty generalization with things that are, for example, you know, shutting the church down. You know, I could get up and say, you know what? Well, of course, up until the last couple of weeks, and we don't know it's COVID, but I could get, you know, I could have got up two weeks ago and say, you know what? Our church never had an outbreak and we didn't shut down. Therefore, all churches should have done what we did. That's ridiculous. Okay, We can't judge what everybody in the country should have done based on just our one situation. But when we're dealing with a complicated subject like this, it's just real easy for me to get lazy and say, this is how it should have been done because you know, it worked for us. But then another person might say, you know, Something opposite. Well, this is what our church did that was different, and it worked out, therefore we're right. Okay? This is hasty generalization. You can't do that. You don't have enough to go off of. So you know what you just do? You shut your mouth. You just be quiet, and you don't say anything about it. You stay out of that dispute. And, uh, and you know, so a lot of people like, well, you know, COVID hasn't affected my business. I don't understand why other places are struggling. Oh, so you're one business speaks for every other business. That's ridiculous. You know what? You're lazy. You're just running your mouth about things that you can't possibly know. And so often, uh, you know, or so it would be like saying this too. You know, I walked down the streets of Chicago late at night and I didn't get shot. Therefore, Chicago is not dangerous at night. I can't go off my one experience and then just declare that the case for everybody. You know, my child responded great to a specific form of discipline, so that should work for all children. I only ever had to take my child out of the service and spank them one time. All of you that have to do it several times, you're doing something wrong in your parenting. Really? Your one kid, your one experience, declares what all of us need to do for everybody. You see how wrong that is? You can't, you can't do it that way. That's, that's not right. Sometimes people have real complicated questions. They have real complicated situations. And it's easier to just not even consider someone else's position and then just declare a truth for everybody rather than looking at each individual situation. That's wrong. That's lazy. And it would be like declaring someone innocent who is accused of being a pervert because they never did anything like that to you. And you like them. Well, I, yeah, I, yeah, this happened when we were over at their house. Well, I went over to their house and nothing happened. Well, that doesn't mean it didn't happen when you went over to their house. 
But isn't that how we are? Hey, this guy's a pervert. He did this. Oh, I've known him for years. I've never seen him do That doesn't prove anything. But yet, that's how people are. They'll go off their one experience and that's what's right with everybody. So the problem with people that are like this is they just think they're the center of the universe. This is how it is in my universe. Therefore, that's how it is for the entire universe. Wrong. That is wrong. And you know what? There's a lot of theological examples where we often use hasty generalization. For example, for example, you know, declaring all people who belong to certain groups reprobate or unsaved. It's amazing just how quick just anybody who does this unsaved. Not necessarily. Okay, so for example, you know, if I was like anybody who believes in dispensationalism is just not saved. Now, wait a minute. Because the truth is we actually need a little more information before we can run with a statement like that. See, the truth is Christians, they often say way too much about things they have way too little information on. And so before we run with a statement like that, maybe we ought to get a little more information. Well, what do you believe about dispensation? Do you believe in dispensational salvation? You know, we should not everybody who believes in dispensationalism believes in dispensational salvation. But it's just easier for me to just declare them all unsaved. That way more people will just listen to me, who's non-dispensational. You know, there, there's, there's a little more to it than that. And so, um, again, that, the reason people do that is some things are complicated. Anybody who uses an NIV Bible is just not saved. Because he does love God here with God's words. And if you're reading an NIV Bible, that's not God's word. You know, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. You know, my sheep, they understand my voice. And you don't know the voice of the shepherd if you're using an NIV Bible. But wait a minute. What if they've just never been taught the truth? Some people believe the lie that the more modern versions just make it easier to read. They've not been taught. They don't know any better. And to just declare them all unsaved, that's out of line. We need more information than that. There's a big difference between a James White who has you know, supposedly studied this stuff and looked into all these things and is promoting this junk and somebody who's just a follower who doesn't know any better. There's a big difference. And so, while it might be easy to declare James White unsaved, doesn't mean all of his followers are. There's some that might be new to this. They're just getting started. Hey, the guy sounds smart. and But it's just so easy to do that, just to declare everyone unsaved, everyone a reprobate, it's just lazy. You need more information than that. And here's why we do that too, is because where we need to get specific sometimes is a little complicated and some people are just too lazy to do it. So you know what they're, do what they're doing? They're going to the hasty generalization to dodge the real issue because I'm not equipped, I'm not ready, I'm not qualified to speak on this difficult subject. I mean, what about people who get saved out soul winning but accidentally end up in some liberal contemporary church. Okay, How long is it going to take before they realize this is wrong? It, it, it depends on so many things. Do you know there are some churches out there that on paper, I mean, teach a ton of damnable heresy? But the, here's the thing. If you went to one of those churches, you could go there for months without hearing any heresy because the truth is they don't talk about anything. They're a social club. You know, or they only talk about things that are real easy for us all to agree on. God loves us. That's all they talk about. So somebody can be there for a long time and not realize how bad of a place they're in. Because they've not read the doctrine statement. It, it, so there's, there's so many things you have to factor in 
But these people are out there. They suppose everyone who goes to this church is a reprobate. No, you're using hasty generalizations because you're just quick to run your mouth. And there's actually real complicated issues that people often need to deal with and you don't want to do it. That's why you run into stuff. Folks, don't fall for that. Don't fall for that. Just listen to me. Get up and to say things like that, especially when you know for a fact that's just not true in some cases. You know of examples where that's not the case, yet they're, yet they're doing that. That is their way of dodging the issue. So we should be ready to answer people and help them. But if you don't, you know, you can always find your magic verse to get out of it. Okay? You know, we've got 1 Peter 3.15. Let's sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Be always ready to give an answer. We got our verse for always giving an answer. But we also have 2 Timothy 2.23 that says, but foolish and unlearned questions avoid knowing that they do gender stripes. We have Titus 3.9, but avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable in vain. If I don't want to answer something, I've got a verse for it. If I do want to answer something, and I want you to answer, and I want to demand you to answer, i got a verse for that too. But you got to understand how, when, and where we use and apply these verses can be a complicated subject sometimes. It, it, it depends on the situation. It's one thing if somebody who's been a member of this church for a really long time, you know, I'd be a little worried if, you know, and I, and I don't want to scare people away from asking certain questions, but, you know, if, you know, let's say somebody like Brother Austin, who preaches here a lot, if he comes to me and is like, you know, Pastor, I'm not real sure about this eternal security thing. You know, we, we might have a little bit of a problem there. It's like, what are you even doing preaching here? But at the same time, there's a big difference between him and somebody that I'm talking to out solely. You know, or if some one of you in here that knows better, you're just coming to me with some of these weird questions. And somebody when I'm again, somebody that's coming to the church for the first time. You know, there some of these things are complicated, and it's lazy for me to just to get up and declare, never answer questions in this area. Well, we might need to sometimes in some situations. There's a lot to a lot of these things. But a lot of people, what they're just masters of doing is using either one of these verses we just looked at to just do their will and what they want to do and to dodge the issue if that's what they want to do. And so another way people do that too, and we talked about this a few weeks back, you know, and I, thought, I mentioned this last week, red herrings. Okay, that red herring fallacy when you and where that comes from you you used to have those bloodhounds tracking the fox and to train them they would drag those red herring fish that are real smelly across that path that the dogs were following and it was a way of training them to keep them focused on that one scent because when they would come across that red herring scent a, a dog that wasn't well trained would get distracted and start following that and so they would do that on purpose to train that dog to stay focused on the fox or whatever it was that they were tracking. And whereas people out there today, they're masters of getting you distracted and off topic because they're losing the argument. They don't know how to deal with the actual issue, so they bring up something that seems to be related but is unrelated. They're, they're dodging the issue. Again, and I, I use this as an example. It's just a great example. But if we want to talk about how, you know, what Jesus did the three days he was dead, that's a deep subject. That can be a complicated subject. 
But some people, because they just aren't equipped to, they don't have the knowledge or the ability to answer these things in a coherent way. What do they do? They distract you and they, I just want to talk about the blood. Red herring. Okay. That's not related. We all know how Jesus died. We all know what paid for our sins. We want to talk about what went on while he was dead for three days. Well, I don't want to talk about that. Let me get you distracted with this over here. Folks, that's dishonest. These people are dodging the issue. They're like stinking politicians. We shouldn't be that way. And again, oh, I just think that, you know, I think that's just a, a stupid conversation. Okay, then don't talk about it. Okay? Just don't talk about it then. Don't go talking about other things that seem to be related and are not, and then act like you debunked what we're teaching. That's dishonest. You're, you're dodging the whole issue. You know, if, if, if we're talking about these things, shouldn't you talk about Acts 2? If you're actually dealing with that? But no, you just want to talk about the blood. Not related. Red herring. You're dodging the issue. And so I can use those verse, 1 Peter 3.15 or 2 Timothy 2.23, I can use those as a red herring to get me out of a conversation that I don't want to have. But the truth is, I may be unjustly labeling these things worthy or unworthy topics according to my own interests. That is not right. And so here, here's what you can do with the verse about avoiding questions. You can avoid the question. Just avoid it. And what you, but here's what you shouldn't do. You should not pretend you're answering them when you aren't. And, and man, have you seen that with politicians before where they will, they'll ask them a really good question. This happens in almost every debate I ever watch, whether it be political, whether it be religious. They'll ask that perfect question. Oh, thank you, moderator. You hear him ask that question. That's exactly what I would ask. I can't, I mean, you, you want to hear what they have to say. And then they just get up and with great eloquence, they talk about nothing. That literally has nothing to do with what they just asked you. That is the most frustrating thing in the world to me. And politicians are the masters of it. And right behind them are preachers. Boy, preachers are good at that. You know what, and you know what a red herring, a famous red herring of the trendies is? When you want to talk about living a holy separated life, they all then want to talk about the sanctification that God does when He saves us. But wait a minute, I get it. God sanctifies us on salvation. We're saved, nothing can change that. But the Bible does teach about a sanctification that we do for ourselves. That has nothing to do with salvation. Now, can we talk about that? No, I just want to talk about Jesus and the sanctification He does. Red herring. It's not related. It's the same word. The Bible uses the same word, so it seems related. But the truth is, they don't want to talk about things that what a Christian should be doing or what a Christian shouldn't be doing because they're stinking wicked and carnal. And so they act like we're all about grace. We're all about sanctification. We want to talk about punishing sin, which is a legitimate thing. I just want to talk about grace. Listen, grace is a great subject. But just because there's grace doesn't mean there's not punishment for sin. doesn't mean we don't preach against certain things. Okay? You are trying to distract. You are dodging the issue is what you're doing. And you're doing it with these red herrings. This is not right. There are some subjects that do deserve our attention. And there are some subjects 
that do not deserve our attention and we should avoid them like the plague. But at the same time, we need to be honest and say, you know what, I'm not going there. I'm not going there. And instead of getting up like a politician and speaking a bunch of unrelated fluff and you know acting like you helped everybody out, just just shut up about it. If I get up and I get in a debate with Sluter and he's going to prove to me that you know we're going to live on other planets one of these days and that there's life on Mars and things like that, I don't prove anything if he's like, well, you know, what do you have to say about of the increase of his kingdom? There shall be no end. Well, here's what I'll tell you. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. I don't see him saying anything about putting any life on Mars. Do you see him saying anything about putting life on there being life on Mars? All the life that we see God putting in the earth in Genesis 1, 1, or in Genesis chapter 1, is all on planet earth. Therefore, there can't be life on Mars. Now listen, I don't believe there's life on Mars or any other planets out there. But the fact that and this is, I don't want to get into another sermon, but the fact that Genesis says nothing about it does not prove it didn't happen. You show me in the Bible where it says Bigfoot doesn't exist. Listen, you show me that it does. <laughs> that's not an argument. That, that's just, that's just, that's dumb. And, and, that, and that's what people do. Hey, you know, Pastor Tommy, you're a weird, you're a fraud, you believe in Bigfoot. And instead of me giving evidence, actual evidence of Bigfoot, you show me in the Bible where Bigfoot doesn't exist. And you, you, Now, it sounds like I went to the Bible, didn't I? But you know what? I didn't. I didn't. I didn't, I didn't deal with anything. I'm a stinking politician. I'm a fraud. And now I'm up here. I'm talking. I'm running my mouth. But I'm not answering anything. But yet I'm in a dispute. That, my friends, is what you call a perverse dispute. Do not fall for these things. Learn to watch people. Hold people accountable. If they're not dealing with the issue, don't listen to them. Do not fall for this type of thing. And definitely do not get involved in it. So with that, let's pray, dear Lord. We thank you so much for your word. Help us, Lord, to uh, learn from these things. Help us to stay out of these dumb arguments and uh, and from using these uh, just wicked methods to just dodge the issue. Lord, if, if we aren't uh, equipped or if we're not ready to answer something, help us to have the wisdom to just keep our mouth shut. In your name we pray. Amen.